You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. On today's episode, we are joined by Quantified Bob. Bob Troya. If you guys have not heard about Quantified Bob or been to quantifiedbob.com, this guy is the ultimate biohacker. Uh, He's a New York City-based technology entrepreneur, biohacker, self-quantification geek focused on the intersection of data-driven citizen science, health, and wellness, human performance, longevity, and personal optimization. Hitting all the notes. I was really excited to have this conversation with Bob because I was most curious about the experiments and tests that he's done in his house or or specifically his apartment in New York City. On today's episode, we cover EMF exposure, air quality, and water quality. And Quantified Bob has done tests on his environment. He has gone through a whole schematic in his house to figure out where he's getting dirty electricity, where he's getting EMF exposure, and he gives all of us really, really practical tips on how to figure out how to minimize our exposure to these harmful waves that uh, can mess with our mitochondria and keep us awake at night. A lot of the conversation centers around the quality of sleep uh, because especially for EMF and air quality, uh, it can really mess with your sleep and keep you in a heightened state uh, when you don't want to. Uh, We talk about air quality. We talk about what he uses to to monitor his air quality and how he uh, basically cleans his air. We also talk about water and the tests that he's done out of his tap water to figure out what the best way to drink is, what filters he uses, and all that good stuff. Also, he's got a shower filter that he uses to strip out chemicals so that he's not bathing in opioids and fluoride and all that yucky stuff. So we talk about what is he experimenting with now. He's down with te- peptides. He's he's immersed himself in peptides uh, and their healing properties. Um, he's looking at a, a mega sleep experiment that looks at 40 to 50 variables. Uh, we talk about sleep hacks uh, for sleep apnea, including mouth taping. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about this. Uh, and when I ask him the last question that I ask all of our guests, you know, based on everything you know, what is uh, fill in the blank? Everyone should know that. He comes up with a very interesting Uh, answer to that fill in the blank question. What should everybody know? What do we need to know that would help us? And uh, you'll just have to stick around to the end of the episode to learn that. As always, thank you so much for listening. Um, If you listened to the last episode, um, it was a little controversial. And I think it was really relevant to where we are in our in our life and where we are and things that we need to consider when it comes to vaccines. So this kind of gets back to the normal of Um, personal optimization, and optimal performance. As always, please follow me personally on Instagram. It's real Sean McCormick, S-E-A-N McCormick. And please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you listen to. Apparently, they're doing away with iTunes, so uh, we'll have to figure out what's going on there. But it is my goal every single weekend, week out, to bring you the best possible guests to give you the best possible information for you to live your best possible life. And uh, it's a really, it's a joy for me to do. And your support, sharing these episodes, 
liking, commenting on iTunes really helps me deliver more great content to a wider audience. So stoked for you guys to meet Quantified Bob and hear all about some of the cool things that he's doing to make sure that his environment and his place is optimized uh, so that yours can too. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Quantified Bob. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Bob Troya from Quantified Bob. Bob, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks for having me on. So... In our little chit chat before I hit the record button, we were talking about the need to understand what's going around our what's going on in our physical environment. You know, biohacking has now become a term that is that is ubiquitous. Most people have heard the term and some people think about, you know, subdermal inserts and microchips, but really part of being a biohacker is understanding what's going on in your physical environment and 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 that's a really good place to jump off. Can you kind of re-say what you told me just a minute ago about the importance of knowing what's going on um, in your house or even in your bedroom? Sure. I mean the whole the whole concept of biohacking and and optimizing ourselves and and our physiology and our biology, uh, you know, whether that's Things around diet, nutrition, exercise, supplements, etc. Um, you know, people often overlook a very important component, which is is, is our environment, and in particular, our indoor environment for, in our home, and even more specifically, let's say in our bedroom, where we spend essentially a third of our lives. I think it's it's one of those things where you know, regardless of where you live or your or your circumstances, it, it it is something that you should be paying a lot of attention to. Because that will carry over and impact everything from how well we sleep, things like stress, et cetera, and our general well-being. So, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of different sort of experiments and, and, and kind of research into these areas for my, for my own well-being. And, um, you know, and it's, you go down this sort of uh, rabbit hole, you know, of, of information. But, you know, you, you will find that there are some very simple things you can implement that can give you both good insights um, as well as some easy hacks to uh you know, give yourself that little bit of advantage. Yeah. Your website is laid out so logically. It's really nice to be able to go in there and say, okay, well, what what's he up to? And it's like, oh, here's what he's up to. Here's what he's measuring in his house. Oh, here how he's here's how he's making these changes. Here are the things that need to be considered. And it's true. You could be meditating every single day. You can be taking, you know, uh, you were drinking green juice and duro, doing neurofeedback, but the fact of the matter is, if like if you have mold uh, behind your headboard, you're hosed. If 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 you're drinking crappy tap water all the time, that's contaminated. Like it, all of the work that you're doing to live an optimal life is going to be is going to be totally xed out by by the things that are going on inside your house. So based on 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 the website and 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 all the experiments that you've done, it looks like you've, you've, the, the three areas that I would really like to focus on today are air quality, water quality, and EMF exposure. Can you walk us through, because I am 
starting to freak myself out now with the EMF and the 5G that's going on in my life. And I think a lot of other people understand are now beginning to understand how EMFs may affect them, whether they have hypersensitivity or not. Can you walk us through some of the experiments that you did to measure EMF in your house and in your bedroom and, and how you did it and then, and then what you did to improve it? Sure. Um, well, as you, like you mentioned, there's a, there's a lot of discussion these days around implications of, of our exposure to different types of EMFs, which are um, electromagnetic fields. And these can range from everything from uh, exposure to these fields that come from wiring in our households to appliances in our kitchens to our, our computers and our cell phones and cell towers. And, you know, so it goes pretty extreme all the way out there. Uh, and, and, and they've all been shown to have sort of different effects on, on our bodies and well-being. Um, I, I got just out of curiosity as I was researching and I, I decided that, you know, I wanted to kind of do an assessment in my home and see where things were at. I happen to live in New York City. Uh, so from the standpoint of EMF, it's, you would, I guess the scientific term is it's an EMF, EMF hellhole, <laughs> uh, you know, because you've got kind of a soup of everything, right? So you've got, you know, not just your next door neighbors and every Wi-Fi router in an apartment building and, and cell phone towers everywhere and who knows what and little smart meter type devices that you'll see on certain buildings. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of bathed in it. And, and so I wanted to just understand what was going on in my home. I was like, look, if I can't control what's going on outside, I just want to understand what's going on inside and, and maybe to some degree be able to uh, get some actionable insights out of that. So, so the first thing I did was kind of go around my home and um, I, I bought a meter, a small, uh, it's called the Trifield meter. I think they cost maybe under $200 um, for, for these meters. Uh, and what they'll do is they, they can measure different sections of uh, types of EMF. So like low EMF, which would be things that are coming off of, again, like um, power lines, house, house wiring, things like that, which are dangerous from the standpoint of they're very close to our, they're 60 Hertz. Like our, in the U S our um, power outlet, our power runs on 60 Hertz, um, which, which is very close to our biological sort of, um, would resonate with us. So there, there's things there where if you're in a very bad sort of pool or, um, uh, soup of this, you know, low level EMF that that's been shown to have a lot of problems and these studies that, you know, you, the, the best come out of Europe because standards, to be honest, are much better there. Like they're, they're more stringent. Um, in the U.S., we don't even have standards for certain things. And, you know, they're showing that, uh, you know, if you talk about the units of measure, they use milligauss as their uh, measurement. And, and if you go even which on these meters look like very, very high, but they're showing in some of these studies that you can start getting biological stress with a very, even just a subtle amount of exposure to some of these EMFs. And so just imagine being just exposed to that all day. You're in a chronically sympathetic, stressed out state. You know, even if you're doing everything else right in your life, you're just you're just being bombarded nonstop. Um, and if you get more long term exposure, they've shown how this can affect um, immune system effects. Um, you know, you'll hear the extremes of things like cancer clusters and, and all that. But let's just keep the wellness perspective um, from the standpoint of, you know, if you're getting immune system issues or suppression, things like that, and higher levels will even suppress things like melatonin. So now we're getting to the, the areas of like affecting sleep and circadian rhythm and, and all of that. And so what I did was I, I, I actually got two meters. I got this tri-field meter, I, um, which can measure uh, these uh, 
electromagnetic fields, uh, and they also can measure uh, radio waves. So things like coming from microwaves, et cetera, like that. And there's a second meter I got, uh, which could, does more of the radio frequency and magnetic fields, but it's for like um, Wi-Fi routers and, and laptops, cell phones, things like that. So I, what I did was I first focused on the home, uh, in the lower level stuff in my home. And I went around, I basically mapped out every outlet and light switch and everything in my home and kind of found areas where perhaps these, these levels looked out of whack or, or elevated because you may have an acute, like, you, you move like five feet in one direction, all of a sudden it goes up. Because again, this is in three dimensions. So it's not about just moving a thing around the floor. You have to go vertically, diagonally, up and down, sideways. Um, and you would see there are some areas that would have would be worse. And, and sometimes you, you go near like a power outlet, let's say, and, and perhaps there's some wiring issues in that outlet. You'll, it'll be very clear as you move the meter closer to it, the, the levels will spike. Uh, moving at certain appliances, especially the microwave in the kitchen, even when the microwave is not on and running, uh, still gives off a tremendous amount, like higher than anything else I found in my home. Uh, you know, any electrical appliance. Hmm. So, you know, like if you have one of those kitchens where you've got a stove with a digital display and, and it's on, kind of on the front of it and you have the microwave uh, above it, you'll um, you're basically getting blasted. You know, if you have the microwave running while you're cooking, you're getting blasted in your head while you're getting blasted by in the crotch, right? You're getting <laughs> so it's not the not the nice thing. So some of this is more insightful. These are like things that you might just say, okay, like, I should probably not do that, or you know, if I have to use a microwave, and I don't want to ever get rid of it. Maybe just unplug it when you're not using it. Um, you know, finding other issues in my home, like um, there could be an area near a wall where it turns out that maybe my my next door neighbor had something against the wall, like a television on their side of the wall, which was kicking out a huge amount of uh, EMFs right where, let's say, my living room couch was. Like maybe I was sitting against the other side of that wall. I was like, whoa, I I, I need to rearrange that furniture because uh, I'm just you're just getting hit by a pretty um, significant amount of, uh, uh, of of those waves. And um, so. You know, that mess up like around the home. And then when you start looking into the bedroom, uh, you know, you can have just issues where like, you know, think about where your head is, where you're sleeping and you can take measurements there. Uh, and even if like you take a measurement at one point in time and let's say it looks okay. Well, you don't have a 24 hour kind of look at that. Those things can be changing throughout the day. Perhaps something is turning on in the afternoon or in the evening that wasn't there before. So you got to kind of check it multiple times. But you, uh, but in my bedroom, I actually had an area right where I was sleeping that was, it wasn't like off the charts, but it was pretty high. And I couldn't, you know, I was like, what's going on there? It turned out that behind my bed was a, uh, a coaxial cable jack that um, was in the wall. And that actually was giving off a whole bunch of dirty, like they call it dirty electricity, or it was, it was creating a field that um, was basically like right near the bed, so right near where I was sleeping. Now, one of the things about these, um, and with magnetic fields, uh, there's a there's this principle called the inverse square law, which just simply stated means uh, if you have a, a field like of a certain power, let's say of a certain strength, and I'm and I'm a foot away from it, if I double my distance from that source, it'll go down by a quarter. So it's it, so and then if I move twice, then it'll go down to uh, you know an eight an eighth and sixteenth, et cetera. So distance is often our friend with any sort of electromagnetic field. So with my bed, I just, all I did was I, I literally said, okay, well, what can I fix here? Is there something in the building wiring maybe I can't get to? But if I just move my bed, the headboard, let's say, I think it was about a foot away from the wall, then the level where my head was, just it dropped down to where it was in a, in a safe level. 
Um, and so, you know, it, this isn't like about going around just worrying and wearing tinfoil hats and all that. I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely known, you know, especially if, you, if someone's dealing like with issues with sleep or other things and you're trying to eliminate or look at different variables, well, this is a very important thing you, you, know, you can be looking at. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it was just, just the insights of going around my home and, and seeing like where these levels were high or low, understanding that when I'm using, let's say we're all using our, our, you know, they don't even call them laptops anymore. I think, uh, you know, Apple doesn't call them laptops anymore for the reason that you're not supposed to put them on your laps, right? They call them like, right. they actually change it because they're like, no, we're not saying you should have these things on your laps. But, um, what, what I will do is. Uh, I was measuring stuff around my computer. So like, let's say you're streaming a YouTube video versus it not you know, pulling any data in. Uh, when the device is plugged in to a grounded outlet, the levels will drop off. Uh, if you're just walking around with the, with your, let's say, I'll call it a laptop. If you're walking with a laptop and it's not plugged in, it's just on battery and stuff, the levels that it, the EMF that it gives off are significantly higher. Um, and so just understanding these sorts of, things maybe help impact your behavior like i you know like i'm wearing these headphones right now that like i don't have any speakers in my ears like these are actually uh the speakers are down here tiny speakers will push push sound through these air tubes that then go to my ears so i basically i'm i'm getting air pumped into my ear that's vibrating sound so you know i i don't talk on my phone like directly on the phone, the device, I'm always either away from it on speaker or on using these headphones. Um, so I just made a personal choice about, you know, picking and choosing, you know, like you might argue like, well, sometimes I'll wear like a wearable that maybe has some Bluetooth on it, right? Let's say I'm wearing this Fitbit device that you can't turn it off. So I'm doing this as like acutely thing, whereas this aura ring, I can put this thing in airplane mode during the day. Um, and while I'm sleeping, let's say, and I only take it out of, blue, of airplane mode when I'm going to sync my data off it. So, you know, you look for, for some of these um, tools and you also want to understand like, okay, is this something you're doing just for a few minutes a day, a few hours a day, or is it something chronically that's going to um, just be affecting you? You're just, just nonstop and that, that type of stressor. So just really with, with apps and stuff, I mean, you know, you can go really, really deep on, on all of this. It's just, um, you know, I do think there's there are just a lot of simple tactics we can all be doing to at least mitigate as much as you can, even if you can't control what's happening out, outside of your home. Um, anyway, and I, I touched on a few there. Um, and like I, you know, some people will turn off their Wi-Fi routers before bed. Um, I never keep any devices near my bed overnight. You know, and if I put them across the other side of the room, they're in airplane mode. Um, I, I don't need to be reached overnight. Like, you know, I don't need anybody to call me. Um, you know, that's just another thing I always do. I, I don't carry my cell phone in my pocket. I don't, you know, I see a lot of, uh, especially, uh, I see a lot of women that do the whole, like they're exercising and they put the phone right here in their shirt. And I'm just like, wow. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's not, you know, and I've, and you know, and you and I'm not a scientist or anything like that, but like, I will say this much and, you know, I never had to deal with experiencing anyone in my family or friends having, you know, some any issues with, with things like uh, cancer, especially brain cancer. And within the last like, five, five years, I've had numerous um, examples of people have had uh, and died from, from that. And, and the, the spot on their head was always the same, <laughs> like where the tumor was. So you, you, know, you, ch- you could say whatever you want, but um, it, it seems more than a coincidence that you know, when you start seeing stuff like that, that, that kind of scares the crap out of me um, you know, from, from that. Yeah. So, um, and so 
Yeah, that, that's why I, I, I think, you know, it's all about just mitigation. It's not it's it's not so much being like I'm going to run around with this tinfoil on my head. And but it, if I'm like, look, it's just a simple behavioral action. If I just know I put something, does it reduce my chances by one one thousandth of one percent? Maybe that's all it is. But it didn't take any effort to make that little lifestyle change. It doesn't you know, I'm not suffering. It doesn't it's not an inconvenience to me to, to do it. So, you know, you got to get to sort of pick and choose. Right. Yeah, you do. It's easy to get caught up in trying to do everything because you could easily spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars to mitigate EMF in your house. I mean, you could get the lead-lined sheetrock that Jack, uh, Doctor Jack Cruz, is talk, talking about. You know, to shield uh, to shield the EMF frequencies from coming into your house. You know, you could go you could go way off the deep end and do a lot of different things. It's just a matter of deciding which which of those things you want to devote time and attention to. You mentioned that the microwave was the was the was the greatest source of EMF in your house, even more than your Wi-Fi router. Yeah, well, I mean, because my Wi-Fi router in my home is actually tucked in a corner in a closet, and unless you're standing right on top of it, um, and it's a different band of. Uh, like that's you're talking about like low level the low emf versus more the, the the radio rf sort of side of things so sure if i if i put a meter right next to that wi-fi router um and it's transmitting data it will be significantly high but if i step you know two feet away it's going to drop whereas the microwave if you're looking at the meter and you're seeing it in the red and pegging on the red <laughs> and you stand eight feet away and it's still up on the red you're it's like well, okay something really significant is going on here um, and so, and, and even when it's not running, like if I just, just from being plugged in, it's still getting off the, you know, and, and you, and, the, and things like a, a dishwasher and, and a, and a blender, all that, anything with a motor will give off some. So, but that's more of like a blender is going to run for, let's say a couple minutes. So, you know, don't just don't stand, don't you know hug it necessarily while you're using it. Um, but the mic is one of those things where you just take it for granted, right? You just, you know, people like they put their faces in front of it. They're looking at the food. They're like, I oh, it ready yet. You know, it's like, I, I just. I don't do. I mean, it's the joke in my house is that there's we have a microwave. It's unplugged, but we, I didn't throw it away. But I use it to store my cutting boards. <laughs> so, so if you open uh, if you open up my microwave, if you open it up, there's just um, you'll see all my cutting boards in there. <laughs> it's like I'm, you know, New York City apartments, you know, I have my storage. So the microwave becomes a little <laughs> a little cabinet. Uh, that's probably a that's probably a more beneficial use of the microwave anyway is to store cutting boards than to actually heat up your food right because yeah and, and, and again there's, there's a reason a why of, it's hot yeah and, and you mentioned things like you know putting lead in your walls and you know and yeah money is no object and you're allowed to actually make those types of changes and, and modifications to your living space like living in a an apartment building in new york city you, you can't really do that um you can do things like shield there's there's um film you can put on windows and curtains to block some of the rf which is the higher stuff you can that stuff's easier to, to block out um it's just the low the low low like power line level emf is the stuff that you can't you, you have to if you don't use lead you can't shield it but people will use uh there's like bedding materials and and you can have like a little sleep cages like um it looks like a, like a mosquito net that will surround uh, a bed if you're trying to like shield yourself from from some of that but um, in my case, I actually didn't have my RF levels for that kind of stuff. wasn't too bad in my home. So surprisingly, I mean, if I'm right by the window, uh, if I'm like literally against the window, then you'll see those levels shoot up. But when I'm in my home, actually those levels weren't too bad. Um, 
you know, I would I would definitely be picking up things from neighbors, Wi-Fi routers. So even if I turn my put a kill switch on mine at night or turned everything off, you can't shut up all your neighbors' um, stuff as well. So um, again, I was, I was fortunate in that those levels weren't um, were crazy weren't too crazy. My the issues in my home were more on the low the low RF. Can you can you make the distinction for us? Yeah, can you can you make the distinction between RF, low RF, high RF, EMF for everybody? Sure. I mean, it basically just comes down to the electromagnetic spectrum. So um, we go from everything from like hertz. So if you think of uh, like a waveform, um, and it's like these frequencies are like waves per second. So we think of hertz like a, a power. Our, our current are, runs on sixty hertz. That's what they decided on. It could have been anything. When they when we did developed our electrical grid um they settled on ac current 60 hertz that's what we use um other countries actually use uh, slightly different ones um europe etc um we, as we work your way up we get into things like uh, tv broadcasts and radio waves and, and and that's now you're at a magnitude like uh, kilohertz megahertz um where the factors are like goes up by from like zero to ten to a thousand to a million to a billion you know you're adding you're basically um adding zeros you keep adding zeros and, um, and then you get up into the range of, so when we think of like cell phones, uh, that's like the 4G, which is our current sort of standard as we, before we get to 5G, uh, it's, it, we're in the gigahertz range, it's usually somewhere between three and six gigahertz, or a little lower, to up to six though, gigahertz. Uh, when we get into um, the visible spectrum, that's kind of comes in that, we got near infrared and, and visible spectrum, and then we get into more like X-rays and, and that kind of radiation. And um, now you're in like, you're adding so many zeros to it. So it's like this whole broad spectrum. And the, the you know, where we are now is the highest thing. You know, we were in this, this sort of microwave level, which is like 3 to 30 gigahertz. But with 5G, uh, 5G is going to allocate a, an unused part of, uh, large, largely, un, largely unused part of the spectrum, which goes from about, I think it's something like 30 to 300 gigahertz. So, you know, we're, we're moving... To a significantly higher, and they call that millimeter wave, which because it's just that's the size of the actual waves are much much more compact, and that's you know this is and we don't there's a lot of you know articles out there we're talking about the dangers of 5G. We don't we know we know in theory what this sort of radiation can do, but no, but until this stuff's been deployed and you know and, and we see five years later, ten years later, what's going on, we don't really know. In theory, like compared to a cell phone tower, um, th in theory, it's actually more efficient in that uh, a normal phone tower, a giant tower is just going to spray this signal across a, a wide range of area. This stuff is much more like almost like point to point, it's like a laser, right? So it's much, it's a much smaller um, field. So, but it also can't travel as far distance wise. So it needs a lot more antennas, like a lot more little, like smaller ones, but relays. So the, the theory would be, well, as long as you're not standing in the beam, you're okay. It's actually better. It doesn't spread out and all sort of stuff. But the challenge is, it, you need a lot of these things because it, you, it needs to route signals around objects. So like if you're in a city, um, it can't get into buildings, can't get through the brick walls of buildings and stuff. So you need to have like uh, waves. That's that's the way they're deploying this. You're gonna have lots and lots and lots of like every little um, street sign and building is gonna have to have these little antennas to act as relays so you can kind of route signals around a corner. And that's, you know, imagine walking through New York City or another, you know, another city that's gonna deploy this stuff and, you know, yeah, you, let's say I'm avoiding that point-to-point -point signal, but there's so many of them. You're, you're ultimately always crossing through them, right? Because you're just walking through. I mean, you're, the, it, the, the the path that your phone's taking to an antenna, maybe you know, is one thing, but you've got you know millions of those, and so 
that that's where it gets a little more uh, you know worrisome I think for a lot of people um, and especially think about your phones now that are coming out these phones that are 5g capable are going to be constantly having to ping right for uh, signals now you've also got something in your pocket that's much more active um, so let's take away the external factors you actually have a device in your pocket that's now constantly constantly searching 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 so you know it, it's you know, so so now you're you're working way up to up to that, um, you know, and so I think we again we, we don't know. It's you know, do I I do think there's definitely inherent you know dangers there, um, but until you know we, we start getting it more in the public eye, I, I mean there are people doing this sort of you know petitions and things, but you know governments are allowing this to happen. You know, it's no surprise that like the U.S. is kind of like one, like one of the first really to roll this sort of stuff out because I think in other countries and go to Europe they're they're probably like, hold on a sec. We need to make sure this stuff is, uh, you know, is vetted, you know, in terms of the, the, the health. Um, I mean, the, the reason we need to deploy this, you know, from the argument from a business side, from the technology side, is that we've got all the, everything's online now. We've every sensor, every, all these internet of things, everything that's out there. So it, it basically makes the bandwidth, the, the capability of these um, networks, like a factor of I think 100 or something, it, it, you know, versus our, our traditional cell phone um, stuff. So, you know, it's, yeah, you know, we can go on and on about that. I mean, I'm not an expert in the field, but, um, but you know, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, how can I mitigate this? Or, you know, it, it'll end, you know, okay, someone can say, sure, move away, but they're deploying stuff, you know, satellites and stuff now that are going to just be spraying <laughs> 5G connectivity across everything. So you can be out in the middle of the desert thinking you're getting away from it all. No, maybe not. You know, so it, it, it's so maybe we, we will go to wearing those uh, tinfoil hats, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and back to the idea that we need a tinfoil hat. Very well, May. Uh, when when you uh, made those changes to your house, when you moved your bed a foot away from the wall, when you unplugged the the, the microwave, did you quantify? Uh, what sort of biomarkers responded to those changes? Or anecdotally, did you notice that you felt like less edgy? Did you sleep better? Like, what were the what were the responses to those changes? Yeah, the the main the main data I could really look at was, was related to um, to sleep and recovery. Um, just you know, heart rate variability and sleep. Like, I always take I always check my HRV. Um, first thing in the morning when I wake up. I, I mean, some devices out there will do like an overnight HRV, which will kind of show you the more acute uh, variation overnight. But I, I like to just do that spot check when I first wake up. It kind of shows me where, where my body state is at that moment. Am I ready for the day? Um, and then sleep. So I, I, would, I was dealing with a lot more sleep disruption throughout the night. So even if I thought I was getting eight hours of sleep, um, it wasn't, you know, necessarily, it was eight hours in bed, but but not not all sleep um, and a lot of little disruptions and, and sure there could be a lot of other factors there um, environment wise so, you know, we could talk about air quality things like that but um, but I do feel uh, from the standpoint of you know if you know before we had sleep trackers and all that the way you kind of measured your REM was your, you know this came from like a lot of coaches and stuff in sports would be like ask you like um you know, how many dreams did you have last night and each because the, the thinking would be each dream was was representing a sleep cycle and you kind of remember think back on that. Uh, so I, d I definitely felt like making some of those changes, uh, especially in the bedroom, w did help me to uh, improve that the sort of aspect of it. Well, so just being in, you know, eight hours of bed, maybe waking up throughout the night or, or getting, but I wasn't wasn't very restorative sleep. Um, you know, maybe I was getting a little, bringing up a little more of the rim and the deep. Yeah. 
Nice. You said let, let's go. Let's let's transition to air quality now. You mentioned air quality, and that's uh, and I know that you've done extensive testing on uh, on that. Can you walk us through uh, just the same way that you have for the for what you did with EMF? Can you walk us through the process that you took to analyze uh, your air quality in your place? I imagine, and for a guy in Seattle talking to a guy from New York, I imagine that air quality is more of a concern for you. I mean. I mean, I got giant evergreens. I'm looking at them right now, <laughs> not to gloat, but you know, I, I imagine that you've got you've got a lot more stuff you're dealing with. I'd love to hear how you did it. Sure. Uh, so, so with air quality, I, again, living in a city, you know, you can talk about okay, let's just say, you know, in, in the middle of the summer, we get these like alerts about ozone, things like that. I mean, just you're in this sort of very congested sort of environment, but uh, again, in our homes. Um, you know, and again, especially with, with our bedrooms, uh, uh, that's an area that I think everyone should seek to optimize. And, and when I say optimize, it's, it's not just like, okay, what's the ideal temperature? What's the ideal humidity? I mean, those are things you can easily measure and can track, you know, in the room. Uh, we're dealing with things like particulate matter. So this could be everything from dust, dust and pollen, mold, um, to smaller particles which are actually produced from things like uh, motor vehicles. So if you live in a city and you're actually like there's car exhaust or brakes and, and uh, burning f- like fuels and stuff like that. furnace, like that stuff can, you know, get, get in there as well. And we're constantly exposed to it. Uh, carbon monoxide, I mean, hopefully everyone has a carbon monoxide detector in their home. I mean, that's, I think it's required by law these days. So we all are, we are all actually tracking some elements of our air quality because that's an odorless, um, you know, colorless gas. It's like super poisonous. And, you know, you, people, you know, unfortunately die from carbon monoxide poisoning in their homes when sometimes when they're sleeping without it, because you don't even know it. You just, you know, you don't, you can't detect it. It's not like you're smelling, you know, fuel burning or something like that. Um, then we've got things like nitrogen dioxide, which comes typically from burning fuel. So a lot of car exhaust, things like that, kerosene, wood, uh, carbon dioxide, which mostly just comes from us breathing. Um, but actually what I found when I'll talk a little bit more about in a second is I was actually able to see how when poor ventilation in a bedroom, the carbon dioxide from us exhaling overnight builds up and our, our oxygen levels are not as high and that actually disrupts sleep. Um, and so that's another thing to watch out for. And then we've got a whole group of chemicals and compounds they are called um, volatile organic compounds. Uh, and these are just chemicals that if you ever bought like a cheap piece of furniture and it's off gassing, you smell that chemical smell of that cheap wood, they, like, whatever they painted it or veneered it with, um, you know, so it's in acetone and benzene, um, you know, and we also get it from cleaning supplies, cosmetics and all that. So we're kind of just, you know, we have all these sort of things in our in our homes and and of course yes the number one thing to have would be if you had some really really great ventilation let's say you had fresh air a source of really fresh high air coming in you could open a window all day and just keep ventilating and that's that's obviously optimal um living in the city you you can't always do that um for a number of reasons uh it could be simply security like you can't leave an open window uh, if you live on a certain type of apartments and you know uh or you're not home uh the second would be there's a trade-off so let's say I need fresh air to kind of ventilate my room, but when I open my window, the noise outside is going to keep me awake. All the cars honking and everything. So now you're kind of having a trade-off of like you're fixing, you're doing one thing and you know triggering another. Um, so I was looking at all these components uh, of air quality, and the first thing I actually did, which I don't necessarily recommend 
anyone out there doing. It was I, I built my own little air quality monitor. Um, I, I found some plans for a little thing you can build connected to like a $10 little a device called an Arduino, uh, which is like a little circuit board that has a computer on it. But you buy all the sensors. Um, and, I, and I was able to like measure a, a lot of stuff. I was able to look at things like the temperature and humidity and, and, and uh, the, some of the elements I talked about, like nitrogen dioxide and VOCs and carbon monoxide and all that. And I would let it run. I let it run in my bedroom just to show, like, let's let's see what happens over a period of 24 hours throughout the day. And, and you would see things, obviously, overnight while I was sleeping that um, were pretty insightful about, as I mentioned, um, carbon dioxide levels um, going up, which was dis- which were disrupting sleep. I'd also see things like, oh, in the morning, when uh, you, and it, fortunately this was after I'd waken up already. Uh, if there were like delivery vehicles um, like uh, across the street, the like you would actually see the um, the, end of the nitrogen dioxide uh, levels go up because you have all these vehicles just idling out, in front, like literally 200 feet away. Yeah. So that's a, so. There's a, you know, even if you're because even if you have windows that are slightly like they leak, it's it's actually a good thing sometimes because it actually lets some air in and out. But the, the downside is it's going to let in some of the bad stuff too, and you would see the. Um, the ebb and flow of that throughout the day. It was very like circadian. It was like, cause you thought oh, delivery trucks, okay, that's going up. Um, you, know, you would see um, just elements of where uh, if you're, you know, if you ha- have a laundry room doing, you know, a dryer, that's gas power or turning things on, you'll actually see where a certain level would come up. Um, you know, so it was, it, for me, it was about observing the, the overall daily trends, but then focusing really into what's happening overnight. Um, and so for me, the, uh, the, the, my biggest insight was, you know, okay, let's, how do we make sure that the room stays ventilated overnight while I'm sleeping to maintain, you know, good air quality, uh, also minimize the particulate matter in the air and dust and, and pollen, all that. Um, so I, I bought a, uh, an air quality monitor. It's called a, uh, a Fubot because there's, there's a number of them out there. Um, this is one that costs like under $200 and then it's, you just simply plug it in. Um, it's got the sensors all built into it and it does some really great reporting, has a cool app and you can get alerts. So like I can be like away from home and get an alert if something was out of whack. And then what you can do is if you, if you actually want to automate some of these systems, I can have it trigger, for example, uh, uh, HEPA filters. So if I have like a, like a nice cool air, like a filter that'll just suck all the bad stuff out of the air. Um, you, I can say, okay, when this hits a certain threshold, turn that on, you know, for whatever, for 15 minutes and then it cuts back off. Um, and so, you know, and, and if you lived out somewhere where maybe, you know, the security was as much of an issue, you could have to do things like open windows, close, you know, turn shades up and down, all that. So you could um, really have a nice optimized, almost an automated, you know, optimized environment from, for, for all that. That sounds cool, man. I like, I like the sound of that. No, I was going to say, I, I just think there, there are a number you could, you don't really need to go and, you know, go off and build your own. I think, you know, I think when I started off on this, this path, there wasn't a whole, a lot out there. So I, I kind of went down that route and, um, you know, if you like the solder and, and do a little programming, it's, it's fine, but you don't have to do that. You can just literally buy for, you know, like something like the, it's Fubot is the one uh, product I, I like. Um, and, and, you know, it's just a simple, simple device. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have that, uh, a link to the, to that in the show notes. Um, anything else, anything else on air quality? I mean, did you, uh, were you able to notice, uh, like a, no, a notice, noticeable difference in, in, in your sleep quality? Uh, I did. Well, 
again, in terms of correlating with overall sleep quality, I would say the only, it's more anecdotal. Um, for example, waking up with a crusty nose or, or having, you know, if, if there was some pollen, dust, et cetera, uh, the disturbances were actually, you know, one thing as well. And so this, this sort of re, um, experiment was done separately from the EMF stuff. So I was able to, I could say like, okay, if, if I already took care of some of that, now I'm over here working on air quality. If there's still some disturbances, you know, what, what's going on there? And it just turned out if you overlay the sleep data with the air quality data, you could see the moments where the, the, the carbon dioxide levels um, increased, you know, significantly. And so that was kind of like a, you know, okay, you know, they definitely, they line up. So there's something going on there. Um, you know, yeah. but, but definitely like once I started running the HEPA filter and doing other things like waking up in the morning, um, if you got any like sinusitis or, or, you know, some congestion or sneezing, you know, from, from like just dust and things that might just be naturally in the air, um, it seemed to like, uh, you know, definitely have an improvement for me at least. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have, cause I mean, I've, I've got, I've got a couple of things in, in, uh, in my bedroom, to, uh, to help. Do you have, uh, what, what did you find was the optimal humidity? Cause I have a humidifier that I've been sleeping with in, in my bed, in my kids' beds for, for years. Do, do you have any, did you find research on what optimal is? Well, I mean, the main issue with humidity is you want to avoid mold growth and things like that so you you in general want to keep it below 60 percent um I, I the lower the better for me um you know i would say if i can keep it closer to 50 45 50 um you know it, it that's the main thing for me it was more about if, you, if you're worried about things like mold um so in the summer months if you if you happen to live in an environment that gets pretty you know outside it's wet and humid um you just might want to get a dehumidifier you know keep it keep it in check yeah, I guess I guess it's I guess it's different geographically, you know, because we have really low humidity here in the Pacific Northwest, um, as as rainy and and dark and dank as it is most of the year. Like humidity is really low, and so uh, yeah, anecdotally felt felt better, slept better with with the humidifiers on. All right, well let's let's change gears and get to uh, water quality. Um, walk us through, you know, I hope this isn't too formulaic. Bob, you're sitting there like, yeah, dude, I've already I've posted this. I've done all this stuff. You're just running through the gamut, but I, I, it's so focused that I, and it's so valuable that I really want to uh, present the material in this way. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did with water quality? What did you measure? What did you find? And what did you change? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, what kind of got me down this route was, you know, everyone's looking at ways to, they were like saying, okay, if I drink, you know, water out of my tap and, and, uh, something that is, uh, of a certain pH or they're, there's, you know, they're, they want to treat it a certain way or they're, they're putting stuff into the water to make it, I guess, feel like more, less alkaline or more alkaline, like less acidic and, and all that. And I was just like, no, I just want to see what's actually going on with the water in my home. Um, and so I live in New York city and there's always been a, a saying around they would say like new york actually has some of the best tap water quality, you know quality tap water in the world or in the country at least um you know granted yes they still put you know chemicals in there and and, and all that and you know fluoride etc um they actually about seven years ago they actually reduced the amount of fluoride that they um use in the water by like 20 percent. so i think they're starting to catch on like really? that it should not be well yeah 
Yeah, the um it's, Huh. Do you, do you know what the parts per million is in New York? Uh back in 2012 it was uh it's a it's a it's more like milligrams per liter I think they used as the measurement and it was like it was like okay. 1.0 milligram per liter of fluoride to 0.8 milligrams per liter. So a 20% decrease in that. Um, huh. Wow. So, um, but if, in terms of the, uh, you know, when you look at fluoride, uh, basically, um, you know, there, you can get these home test kits. And that's how I kind of started. I just said, let me just grab water out of my tap. Because there's a lot of variables here. We've got... Let's say you've got the source of the water, like comes from a reservoir, I guess the processing plant. Let's say it's pristine all the way through. Well, it's going through a lot of other plumbing and pipes and, and municipal things. And by the time it gets to your home or your building, that last little bit, you can actually be getting problems with the water at that last, you know, 200, 300 feet of pipe plumbing that's coming into your home. So um, you're talking about things like if the pipes were soldered with lead. <laughs> in the home, right? So you might have this great water coming in, coming down, and, and then all of a sudden now it's running through, uh, you know, these lead-ridden pipes. Um, so that was my main reason for, like, I wanted to make, see, like, okay, what's what, what's coming out of my tap that I'm drinking? Um, and then what can I do about it from the standpoint of, um, you know, running it through different, like a, like a simple filter system, you know, like a, I, I use a product called Zero Water, which is a, it's a, like a pitcher, uh, that has a super filtration sort of system in there. Um, cause again, I'm in an apartment, so I couldn't put in one of these whole home, like reverse osmosis systems and, and all that. So, so basically what I did was this is something that you can do. This is a really simple experiment. It doesn't cost that much money, but I, I bought a, uh, a couple test kits. There's a, a company called first alert that makes all these home test kits. So I just bought, um, a few of those and I started just saying, okay, let me, um, start checking all these different parameters. And I, I would go through, it was like, hey, let's look at the pH of water. Um, and actually near the tap water was relatively neutral. So it was right about seven, which I think is like, you know, if you're going from acid to base, seven is kind of like right in the middle. Uh, and when I ran it through the pitcher, when I actually filtered the water, it takes out all the, the dissolved solids from it. Because that's, that's why they call it zero water, is that you, it comes with a little um, TDS meter, which is total dissolved solids. And, and they're... Their claim is that you know we'll take any water and when you test it pre, before and after, the after should always be zero. You should have nothing like the filter should take everything out of it, and um, it actually makes the water more acidic. Like when you when I filtered it and then tested it, and it actually it actually became a little bit more acidic. Um, so it was actually probably taking out other factors from the that were in there, other dissolved solids that maybe were helping make it more alkaline. You know, not necessarily not not saying things like fluoride and all of that. Um, so I, you know, I went and tested it like that. Uh, there's tests for like, you can test for bacteria in the water. And so you basically, cause it comes a little vial with, with some powder. You, you basically are cult, you're making a culture that you, you have to let it sit for 48 hours and it will change color if there's a presence of certain bacteria that were in that water sample. Um, you know, in my case, fortunately it was, it was fine. Um, there's a lead, which I think Phew. is... <laughs> To me, it's number one. That's the number one sort of reason to really be testing your water. I mean, that's because um, just you know, I, I had dealt with some other in the past. I had some elevated levels of lead in my body just from that heavy metal testing. Um, when that could, you know, because lead stays in the bones, it could have been from childhood exposure. It could have been from decades ago. But I wanted to just make sure there was no acute um, issue from from any of that drinking water. Uh, and so I, I went and did the lead test. Uh, 
and that was negative, fortunately, which is it's a good thing. You can also test for different pesticides, um, so things that you know just get into the water system that maybe make it all the way, make it through to the tap. Um, there's a nitrate, uh, nitrate and nitrate water tests, which uh, really that's it's like nitrogen um, from this. It's a it's basically like fertilizers, things like that. Um, so you can test for that. Uh, it didn't really matter in my case as well. Um, and then the uh, there's a chlorine test they also show, and my water didn't show any chlorine in there, but the but the ranges in the, on on there are not super exact. So there could have been, you know there's always, there can always be a trace amount that maybe doesn't show up on there. So it's, you can't say zero per, like with absolute <laughs> certainty, but it was definitely not lighting up the uh, the test kit at all. And, um, and so one of the things though, as I was doing this, what, you know, people were asking me about, you know, do you test for this or test for that? And, and they're saying, you know, I, I ran the test on my home and they're like, I, you know, my stuff was good as well, but then they go and shower and they're showering in the same water. Let's say they're filtering their water for drinking, but then you could take a shower in the same water and it's not being filtered while well, you're you know, it's steaming, you're breathing in that water, it's going to get absorbed into the skin. You're probably getting more exposure through that than, um, you know, anything else. So, um, so you know, so what I do for water now at home is, like, if I have to filter anything, I use that zero water filter for it. I mostly, for my drinking water day to day, I'm just going to drink quality, either spring mineral water. That's just my, my go-to is, you know, instead of trying to take the tap water and treat it with a bunch of different things to try to, you know, it's like, well, that's not really natural. Like, I, I don't have access to a spring. So like, you know, there's a, there's a website called Find a Spring where you can actually go and go there and basically bottle up your own spring water. Um, if I had that, if I had access to that, definitely in a second. But um, I, I had to go and like, you know, I'm, I'm going to drink quality mineral water, spring water. Um, I can use like, uh, for, for you know, if I'm going to boil something, or whatever, I can at the filtered zero water. It's it's fine for that. It's going to pull all the other stuff out of it. And then for the shower. Uh, you can buy these shower filters that will strip out kind of like the way the zero water filter works. Um, but, and what they'll often do is they'll add back in some like either vitamin C or uh, something else to basically so your skin doesn't get dry. Because if you're because uh. you, you'll notice like if you take if you just get one of these really good filters, people will complain that their hair is dry, their skin gets dry because it's because that water is just like dead. It's just got, everything's been taken out of it. So um, that's why you'll see in it. Um, like Aquasana, I think is a, a company that makes some really good um, filters. I mean, there's a lot of companies selling these and they're probably the same product. They probably just relabel them. <laughs> but um, I just know, yeah, Aqu- yeah Aquasana is one company I know that just happens to make, make, make these filters. Um, and you know you, you still have to replace them. I think once once eight months or every eight months or so, you know. And the filters I think are probably around thirty dollars, and then the replace the the inside component is a little bit less. So, you know, if you're going to be in that shower every day, and you know you're you're breathing it in and absorbing that water into your skin, you might as well, you know. And some, some I know some people will actually take um, with their travel a lot for business. They'll they'll travel with a shower filter. They'll they'll just screw it onto the the hotel shower, you know, the, the right. You just take the shower head off. You put the shower head on, like so the filter sits between the shower head and the the, the little pipe that comes out. Um, and yeah, you know, that's just uh, another little tool because the filters aren't. Um, but yeah. so yeah, so again, uh, if given the choice, you know, I would I would definitely do more of a whole home system um, where I can I can definitely have more control over what you know how it with the water 
what water is coming in and how it's being treated. But, um, but if, you know, the quick little New York City apartment hack for me was, well, look, you know, I, I mostly drink my water. Uh, I get, you know, spring, good spring and mineral water. And then, you know, when I need to get something from that's more tap based, it has been, it has been filtered and it's got, you know, the TDS meters kind of shown that it's taken a lot out. And, and I think with one thing I just want to clarify with all of these things, air quality, EMF and, and water quality. I mean, there are, if you really have any, if something doesn't look right in any of your tests, there are experts out there who, and all that, that specialize in, in any one of these areas. And they'll like bring in like the state of the art equipment and test kits. Like, so even like, you know, these water filter tests, like there's much, there, you can actually send this, this off to more sophisticated labs that will like, they'll like pinpoint every like pharmaceutical compound that can be found. Like you might realize there's like Viagra in your water supply and you know, things like that, which these home tests aren't going to necessarily find. But, but if you want a sort of a, a, a kind of the easy, like let's just, you know, I want a simple, uh, a top level understanding of all this. It's great. Um, you know, air quality is home remediation, especially if you've got mold. I mean, there, there's experts who can come in and, you know, if you've got bigger problems, you know, it's going to require like basically like clear, you know, ripping out walls and stuff. Cause you've got more of a, a bigger issue, like, like, like black mold or something like that. You, you know, there's experts for that. And then for the, uh, EMF and radiation. There's actually folks out there. Um, I actually I met a guy uh, recently who he's the only person I know who actually has a 5G um, meter. So they cost about twenty thousand dollars right now. So it's not like something like go on Amazon and buy a 5G. Yeah. So he's going around helping people like kind of like what I was stepping through in my home. He's doing it on a much more like another level of scale for like you know if you want to pay someone to come in and and just really do the full assessment and maybe help you do some of the mitigation um yeah those you know that, that's something you can look into um but i think all you know everything i've outlined here is this is just sort of the like diy like hey you want to understand things a little better where are some simple think changes i can make maybe to help you know get me half you know 75 percent of the way there um and then if yeah. you need to bring, bring the experts yeah well um, and we have not even touched into diet and, you know, biological biohacking and uh, we don't have the time, we don't have the time to get into that today, but I am curious about what is your process of deciding what to measure, what things to hack? Like, is it just on a whim, what you're inspired to do, what you read up about, like what, what makes you decide to, to, to investigate anything? Well, yeah, there's a few levels of it. Um, it's, I mean, it's always going to come out of innate curiosity. That's just the way I've always been. But uh, sometimes it's you're collecting data and you don't necessarily know what the insights are. You're, you're, you're gathering this information that you might sift through later and go, oh, I learned this about myself or I, le- I discovered that something correlates with something. The other side would be um, you're, you're actually trying to solve a problem or some issue or you're trying to prove a theory. And and so it's for me, it's a it's a combination of, of both so you know like I, all this environmental stuff we just discussed it you know the reason i was doing this was uh i didn't necessarily know if something was causing a problem with my sleep i didn't know i i wanted but i wanted to understand i wanted to be like a better safe than sorry uh, it's not about worrying about it um it, it's saying like but if i can make these simple little you know uh, interventions that you know why, why not do that um other experiments if it's more around diet nutrition that's it's it could be to prove like maybe I read uh, some research somewhere or someone or someone else 
did something similar and I wanted to see like, could I replicate the results? Or because what we noticed with a lot of this is, um, is we're highly individualized. So, you know, we, you and I could do the same fasting experiment and our results will be different. You know, it's probably like half it will have similar, you know, half our results might be similar, but then, you know, because they're, we're just different. And it doesn't mean one person's wrong or right. It just means, you know, that's your personal um, result from that. And, and so for me, it's about, it, it's about taking all this information then and distilling it in ways that I could be like, again, we, we're all trying to optimize ourselves. Uh, and the one constraint we all have is there's 24 hours in the day. And so, you know, I'm also trying to figure out ways to say like, you know, you know, yeah, in these experiments and some of these things take a lot of time, but I've also been doing this for a long time where some of the, the data collection is actually now very passive, uh, you know, the set where wearables or other things I, I can, it's just collecting. So even if I don't need that data now, it's nice to know that I can go back, um, you know, maybe in a year, I, I need that information from 2000, you know, summer, you know, 2018 and it will you know, I can look it up and it'll be there. Um, and so, you know, so when I, when I come up with, you know, what to sort of measure or do these experiments, it, you know, there's also a prioritization because if you're doing too many things at once, you might be interfering with like one, you can't be doing a fasting experiment while you're doing a diet experiment to do something else or, you know, or, or you're traveling, you know, you have a microbiome experiment where, you know, if you're traveling overseas, your microbiome is going to change within a week because you're eating different foods and all that. So, it, yeah, you have to kind of figure out how to stagger it as well. Um, you know, sometimes I you end up with this there's this concept called analysis paralysis, where you know you, you almost you you be, you're afraid to do anything because you're like, well, I need to make sure all the conditions are perfect. And and then you know I run into this a lot when I've coached people, and they're like, no, I'm traveling for work this week, and I've got this the following week, and I've got vacation. Oh, but then I want to. Yeah, and so I was like, well, that is your regular, that is your normalcy. Your normalcy is that it's crazy all the time. So, yeah. so let's just go ahead and do it. We know there's always going to be an issue. So uh, you, you control it for what you, you know, some things, but you, you if you're, but if life itself is just not, it, it's not predictable, right? So we, you, you have to just accept it, right? Accept the fact that you're never going to have that perfect moment. And so, you know, it's, it, it, especially in experiments that only take a few days, you know, you can just do it. Uh, other other ones where it does take a, a lot more planning, um, I do have to isolate away from other experiments and just just so I know some of the data won't intermingle um, with 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 it. Yeah, what are you um, what are you experimenting with right now? Oh, let's see. Um, well, there's always a lot of things. So let's. Uh, <laughs> so. I don't know if you've done much discussion with, uh, you know, we're getting into things like performance and longevity and um, kind of the, 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 uh, the sort of idea of everything from efficient exercise. So using certain tools for uh, training and recovery that um, where I don't have to go to the gym five days a week for an hour and a half a day. I'm, you know, I can train for like an hour a week basically and, and getting the same benefits yeah. and results. And, and, you know, um, that's an efficient, you know, for me that, that's a great, not just a, a hack from the standpoint of, uh, you know, getting a result with minimal effort, but it's, it's freeing up time to do other things. Uh, on, on the, uh, you know, supplementation side and, and or just other substances, there's a lot of talk now about things like peptides. And um, and so I, I'm, I'm, you know, dipping my toes in that world a little bit. Um, you know, it's something I normally, you know, I people always think I'm doing all, you know, put crazy stuff in my body, try anything, but I actually researched the hell out of anything before I 
you know, will ingest anything or do, you know, put myself in any potential, you know, I, I have to weigh the pros and cons. I'm just, I am. I'm, there's people out there that are willing to try anything. And I'm always like, no, I want to, I need to be 99.9% confident that, you know, um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I've got enough information on it. So looking at stuff for, um, peptides are really interesting in that the, just the healing properties they can provide. Um, and, and whether it's, you know, past injuries or, um, helping with things like the immune system and all that. So, um, that it's kind of like new world kind of, you know, cutting it. I mean, stuff's been around, but it's gotten much more into the public eye probably in the last year. Um, so that, that's kind of a really, for me, an interesting world. Um, you know, the, around sleep, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing to do some talks later in the year, um, at a few conferences. And one of the things I'm working on is a kind of this mega sleep experiment where, um, I want to, sh- you know, basically somewhere around 30 to 40 different variables that we're going to like intermingle and see how we, how to correlate like, okay, you know, these are all the possible things I've done or can do to to somehow impact different aspects of sleep, whether it's, you know, the quality of my sleep, the duration, more REM, more deep sleep, all that, even among different devices, because they don't always agree with each other. Um, And just to see like by doing that sort of statistical analysis, uh, which kind of like way, way overboard, right? It's going to be like just crazy amounts of data. You know, is it something where I'm like, oh, if I just do these three things, that's basically it. You know, and then so it's kind of like yeah. you take this massive amount of data, just go, no, 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 screw all that. Do this, this, and this, and you're, you know, that's going to, that's your, that's your, for me, that's like that'd be my personal blueprint. And for you, it might be three other things. And um, so that's, that's got me pretty excited. It's just, it's just a lot of planning um, in terms of, because there's, there's so many like, different interventions you know i think i do not and not that i do you do them every day you have to also structure that experiment where sometimes you're doing multiple of the interventions simultaneously like on the same day so maybe you like okay you did some strength training in the evening and you ate protein after a certain time and you took a cold shower before bed and then the next day i use an earthing mat and i you know did mouth taping and you know so you, you figure all these things out and then you feed it all into a, you know, <laughs> the uh, the statistics software, and and you kind of go, okay, what what correlates here? And then, you know, and and it may turn out to just be just a mess, but uh, um, you know, it's it's going to be pretty fun. <laughs> It'll be pretty fun to sift through that data. Um, I just yeah. just because I know like sleep just seems to be like no matter who you talk to, it's always like no one's ever going to say like my sleep's yeah. awesome, it's perfect. I don't need to, you know, do anything to improve it. Um, and so. Hopefully, like, you know, some of the environmental things I've done have got me part of the way there. Um, and, you know, I'm always looking for new ways, um, new, you know, just insights. Like I've noticed by definitely things like adjusting how my diet, my meal timing and um, you know, things like mouth taping and all that. Definitely. I, I just know like just th- those like are very simple things I've done that affect in a positive way my uh, my sleep as well. I, I got to ask, uh, what's mouth taping? You mean taping your mouth so you can to force you to breathe through your nose? So yeah, so essentially it's exactly that. Um, you're it, a lot of people that had like sleep apneas and things. You know what's happening is overnight their mouth is opening up and their tongue is falling back because they're breathing through their mouth and their tongue blocks their airway and then they basically are suffocating, right? And you're you wake up and you're like jarred. Um, well, actually, we're not really supposed to be breathing out of our mouths in general. In general, in life, we're supposed to be breathing out of our nose. Um, you should always be breathing out of our nose. And what mouth taping does is you take a, a small piece of tape. I mean, there's companies that will sell special tape for mouth for, just for this purpose. Um, like there's a company called Somnif. Uh, what's it? Somnif. Ah, what's their tape? 
I'll, I'll get you the link to that. Um, but I use this um, 3M is a this little microport tape that you buy for like a roll of it costs for a dollar, and you just need a strip of it that big, and you tape it across your lip. And it, the tape you can peel it off easily without it ripping your, your lip off. So the idea is you you tape over your mouth, and it forces you to nasal breathe overnight. And I know a lot of people will say like, oh, but I got a stuffy nose, I got all these other issues. Well, I had the same problem. And I, what I what actually started happening was because of I was forcing myself to breathe through my nose all night. And you're not going to suffocate because, in theory, the tape if you did have to breathe out of your mouth, or it'll it'll the tape will come off. And that's one sign overnight that you mouth breathe would be if that tape was off when you wake up in the morning, you were breathing through your mouth, not through your nose. Um, but I would I would go to sleep, be, be nasal breathing, and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd realize that the sinusitis or the congestion in my nose was gone. Like I'd wake up just like, whoa, I, I can, like I haven't experienced this in a very long time where I can just, I have such, you know, my, my nasal passages are super clear. Um, and so there's, if you, there's all sorts of uh, research and studies out there that have been showing these benefits for, for nasal breathing. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, it's a little controversial that they're, um, but I, I do believe in it. Like they're using this on children. Uh, a lot, especially with dentists, like um, children that, because basically, children that have issues, uh, dental issues, when they're younger, um, or just with the way their teeth grow in and stuff, if they force them to breathe through their nose instead of their mouth, tongue presses onto the roof of their mouth, and um, it uh, it seems to have let their teeth spread out properly, and and and, and so, um, and it sounds like a cruel, harsh thing, but I I I mean I I was out with some of these integrative uh, dentists, and they they're swearing by it. And they're like, it's just, you know, it's an easy thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got, um, uh, I've got, I've got my kids, um, consciously breathing through their, their nose and doing a uh, mewing, right. M E W mewing, like pushing the tongue up against the roof of the soft palate to spread everything out. Who, what's the book? What's the, who's the, who's the dentist guy that went and went to Africa? Um, Watson, Watson, Watson. Oh, uh, anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Um, drawn blank as well, but I know exactly what you're talking about. The, that whole concept is like you know we we as a we as a culture societally, uh, our heads are are changing shape because of the way that we're breathing. Anyway, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, well, that's cool. I wanted to I wanted to give you an idea. I don't know if you've tried talking about like optimal exercise, um, minimizing the time. Are you familiar with the X three bar? Have you seen that yet? Which from Dr. John Jaquish? I have. Yeah. So it has the bands and the, uh, the you stand on the platform like with the bands on it and the bar. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great, I know I have several friends who, uh, they travel with that. Um, is that they want to exercise while they're you know, on the road and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I I've been using it. I've been, I've been using it for about six months and I have changed my body composition massively. And I'm, I'm, I'm the unquantified Sean. Uh, if you're the quantified Bob, um, I, I, my measurement for tracking this stuff is it's frankly, it's terrible. Um, um, you know, I'm an, I'm an, I'm I'm an intuitive measurement kind of guy, which, uh, it probably gets in the way a lot of the times, but I know I'm, I'm in the best shape physically than I've been in a lot. I've, I have more muscle mass than I've had and literally all that I've done is the X3 bar 10 minutes a day. I have not gone for runs or done any sort of other exercise, the occasional soccer game or whatever, you know, walks in the park. 
phenomenal. If you uh, have you tried it out, you said your friends, some of your friends are traveling with it. Have you tried? It I have. Out? Um, there's actually the the same inventor is involved with uh, OsteoStrong, which is another set of machinery yeah. that own um, density training. So those locations typically have a um, some X3 bars there, and you can you can, you can work out on. Um, I've actually been using so my predominant modality right now for training is is ARX. Which is uh, now this is very yeah. data quantified. Um, so it's um, it's taking some of the same concepts where you're doing time under tension, your um, you know your mus- your muscles are being greatly is maximally taxed in both the eccentric and concentric directions. Um, and for me, it's it's just like it's it's also it's all like there's tons of data there. So like for me, it's like awesome because I can actually go like while I'm you know I can actually overlay when, while I'm working out. It shows me my last workout. So I can motivate myself. I actually see the, the force curves of my every rep and be like, I need to beat that. I need to beat that. And it gives you like a little more of a push. Um, and, you know, and it's got just the ability, uh, you know, oh, it comes from that, this book, Body by Science, where um, it, was, it, was, it talks about like this, like these big five exercises and about, you know, you can get these really efficient workouts by just maximally loading your muscles over you know, very slow um, repetitions. Um, and so I started doing that. That's what I mean. So, but it works you know, X3 is a, is a cool, like, yeah, it's, um, if you're going to, you want something that, you know, doesn't take up a lot of space, you can just set it up and start going, you know, working on it. And it does have a pretty good set of exercises on it. It's, it's really neat. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, for the sake of time, thank you so much again for, for joining us. Um, what I like to do with it's, we're going to have to do a follow up episode, Bob, because we really didn't get into any of the, you know, um, the fasting mimicking diet stuff or nutrition stuff. And, and I think that what you do is what all of us wish that we could do to have the patience and the organization of mind to do these experiments for yourself, for ourselves, you're doing it. And, and it's really inspiring because we do have these tools at our disposal. We do have access to, um, create these experiments to see where we stand and how we can improve our lives. And so I'm a really big fan of what you do. Um, I like everybody to, uh, all of the guests to fill in the blank at the end of each podcast. Um, So if you would, based on everything that you know, um, there's no wrong answers of, of, in in, in all your experience, and this is so broad on purpose, um, if you could fill in this blank, everyone would benefit from knowing. Uh... They're oxidized uh, LDL cholesterol levels. Okay, usually I say, okay, thanks for joining us on today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. But I, I, I got to can you, can you explain, please? I want to know. What you, I want to know what you mean. So yeah, it's just um, if you think about certain key biomarkers, things that we'd be getting from from blood tests that are indicate good indicators that. Uh, that I'm seeing really cited in both longevity circles and and sort of other optimal performance things. Um, so if you, you normally get a blood test, you know you'll get your cholesterol numbers, you get like total cholesterol, LDL, HDL, um, and 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 there's a lot of debate over like if someone has considered a high LDL level, which is with people test the bad cholesterol, but it's it's not the full picture. There's actually a test that will show you the oxidized LDL, so which means like um, think of like oil. Like uh, if you put it in a pan, you fry the oil at a high temperature, you're oxidized, everything's getting oxidized. Um, whereas if you cook something at a low temperature, the, the particles don't necessarily oxidize. So it's, it's, just, it's basically like a sign that if you have higher levels of, of oxidized uh, cholesterol in your body, it's been oxidized. Um, they've just shown 
like it seems to correlate with uh, poor longevity markers. And so the same way, like you could look at things like blood sugar and glucose, not just like at one time, but understand your blood sugar, your trends. Like I've done a lot. I mean, that's another thing I've been doing a lot of re- uh, experiments on, which is understanding my, like everything about my blood sugar, um, you know, even when it's when I'm sleeping, training, meals. Um, but the, so oxidized LDL would be one just to, you know, it's not like when you'll, when you do your workup, it's not available normally. You have to basically say, I want this specific test. Um, but it's a, it's a good, you know, it's a, it's a, just a good one to, to have that isn't, that isn't very, uh, standard. Yeah. Awesome. You know, not, not a very, nice. not a very deep answer there, but it's just something that I think people should just maybe start paying attention to. That's an, that's an excellent answer. And, and it's not something that I would have thought of. And it's certainly not an answer that we've gotten before on the 211 episodes. Nobody's ever said, uh, everyone would benefit from knowing <laughs> your oxidized LDLs. That's awesome. Fascinating stuff. Well, uh, quantified Bob, Bob Troya, thank you so much for joining us today on the optimal performance podcast. Yeah. Thanks.